All right, everybody, welcome back to All Bark No Dice, the Fundamentals Tabletop Talk Show. Today I'm meeting with Dej Storer from FreeForge. He's the director of creative content for FreeForge, as well as the the virus for Stay Alive. And he's been a DM and a player and a GM and all kinds of different things throughout the, the hobby for a few years now. And it's very exciting to have him on to talk to him about the work he's been doing and current focus, which is that Stay Alive for FreeForge. So welcome to the show, G- Dej. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So I want to obviously we just wrapped up the we just wrapped up the first season. Y'all just first wrapped up the first season of Stay Alive. And we're moving towards the uh second one. And I'm curious, um, before we get there though, I want to talk a little bit about uh Freeforge itself because it's something that um it's 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 a really cool project. Um, but a lot of people listening and, and on the site might not have heard too much about it. So um sure. Tell me a little bit about, you know, tell us a little bit about FreeForge and, you know, what the creative vision behind it is. Yeah, uh, it is still very fledgling. It's It's been going probably for um, a couple years at this point, but it's it's probably only somewhat recently that it's uh, really got kind of its its second set of legs to, to kick beyond sort of the opening plateau that almost any project is probably going to receive. Mm-hmm. Um the the free forge is actually a uh, so like a transitional remnant from community cast which was uh this foundational idea of creating a community of people who were fans of uh content creators content creators themselves and then trying to sort of focus and and, and crystallize a location wherein not only could those people connect but also you have a range of content creators in the space. Mm-hmm. So those who are kind of just getting into it can actually connect with much more experienced people um, and iron out some of the the hurdles that these experienced people have run into previously mm-hmm. and, and sort of get the ball rolling faster for them. And then uh, fans who are wanting to plug into and support uh, content creators of uh, a variety of different uh, mediums actually, but they're, they're able to kind of basically see uh, in a more organic setting. It's, it's more or less a, a big communal hangout hub. Um, uh, I mean, which most discord servers are likely to be, but the way that it's structured is very much um, kind of like a community rec center in a way. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a space <laughs> where everybody can come. Everybody is welcome. Um, we have plenty of non-related TTRPG stuff as, as most discords are want to do. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is either connecting you know, fans of content to creators, connecting newer creators to more experienced creators, and then providing a base and foundation of support for more experienced creators uh, looking to grow or kind of further develop their content. So uh, the space meant to really encapsulate sort of the full uh, microcosm of an individual Mm -hmm. streamer kind of doing their own discord thing, kind of doing that on a larger scale, um, hopefully looking to kind of propel everybody forward was the the foundational concept yeah that that community aspect is really what a lot of people are looking for in <clears throat> these online spaces around around tabletop creators i think um, oh sure and within just the hobbies of tabletop rpg um yeah but yeah it's so hard i mean it's difficult in any any medium to uh get you know get going as a content creator and get, a, get yeah. any kind of community going. 
Um, and then Definitely. of course, you know, you go niche like in a tabletop, it's even, you know, harder, um, especially if you're, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially, you know, in Freeforge, you know, you, you guys do, um, you know, as we, we, we note um, many, many different RPGs um, mm-hmm. not, and, and uh, not all of them. <laughs> and uh, if you're not doing the big one, uh, it makes it even triple difficult <laughs> uh, because the, uh, uh- Sort of. I think that's that used to be largely true. Okay. I, I do think people are finally not not that people are done with it because that that's going to be the market share line for a long <laughs> yeah, time to come. Yeah. I have no doubt, right? But mm-hmm. I do think people who are getting something from watching those what we'll call conventional uh, APs, if if that's the the generic term, we can kind of blanket there. I do think people are looking for something that is wholly different from what they have experienced at their table and each, you know, generalized D and D or vampire, the masquerade or pathfinder, mm-hmm. they're still going to differ table to table. Yeah. Um, but as, as you get towards new systems, some of them way more complex, some of them way simpler, you start to recognize that there are certain stories that are sort of inherently better told through other systems. Uh, I know people love adapting five E to everything. I've done it a ton myself, um, yeah. it's just not the ideal for certain kind of approaches or certain, uh, storytelling styles. Mm-hmm. So I think as people look to gain new experiences at the table, they're automatically being pushed towards these other things after having experimented some with the framework that exists. So, um, you know, 5e has done just a masterful job and and absolutely carried the torch for getting a bunch of people involved. But I think we're not only on the precipice, but kind of pushing towards uh, an opportunity for other systems to really garner their own foundations. Uh, if not right now, definitely in the very, very near future, for sure. Yeah, it, it's really been it's been exciting watching the space expand, um, even though. Um, yeah, it still has that, but watching people who are getting into new systems or getting into actual plays because of these new systems, you know, they kind of go back and forth with the, which what comes first. Yeah. Um, see it expand. The pie getting, getting bigger really for everyone is a good thing, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> no worries there. Yeah. Um, so what, a little bit about, about, about you, what's your, I guess I, I'm always curious about origin stories when it comes to any creation. <laughs> um, so what, sure. what, what got you in the, in the, in the, in the GM chair first, or what got you in just into playing the RPGs? Um, my, my path to GMing my first game is probably really boring and conventional. I think compared <laughs> to a lot of people out there, uh, I, you know, I, I got roped. So I was, I was working as a project lead for, uh, Activision, uh, you know, forever ago at this point. Um, and it's literally just, you know, a tight confined space, uh, you know, bunch of nerd sweat and everybody working 12 hours a day as we're pushing through crunch to try and get towards launch. And, um, it just so happens that there was a, a fairly decent concentration of people who were familiar with or, or otherwise, um, you know, into tabletop D and D or whatever already. Mm-hmm. And my, my kind of foray into that came from a, a good friend of mine actually, who was, hugely instrumental i think in a lot of the early project work that i got going um a buddy of mine dino menudolo who like owns uh, a few game shops and you know he's just been one of my best friends my whole life he'd always like hey i got this new board game let's check it out and he kind of like opened that door for me and uh, a bunch of the nerds uh, one of them happened to be a gm and he was like hey would you want to play i'm like 
that sounds kind of tight. Like I've heard <laughs> of D and D. I know what D and D is. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, I, I played it and fell in love and was having a ton of fun. And uh, that immediately segued to me telling all of my friends, like, it was so tight. I I hit a spell at the ceiling in this cave and crashed it down and crushed all these monsters. And they're like, what? <laughs> like you're wearing jeans right now? That doesn't make sense. Um. And, and kind of explaining and outlining to them uh, what it actually meant and looked like. They got super into it because of how into it I was. Um, and they were like, yeah, I think maybe we'd want to try. And we finally had a group of people that wanted to try and, and do it. And then kind of came that point in time where it gets really awkward for about a half second where everybody's staring at each other like, oh, so who's going to run this? And then everybody <laughs> just kind of turned to me um, because that was kind of the naturally assumed uh, position because I I'd been a, a you know touring musician and a performer for uh, a long time before that very comfortable on the stage you know uh, sort of experienced in the presentary aspects of GMing so I kind of got defaulted into it much in the same way that I think a lot of people get defaulted into it but um, it basically came on the heels of working you know sixteen hour shifts uh, with a bunch of nerd sweat all over the place and then me just being as over the moon as any newbie gets when it comes to trying to outline it to friends. And then all of them pointing at me when we were, I thought we were pulling names out of a hat or something. They were just like, no, it's you. So not, not terribly exciting for the actual time in the seat, but um, a lot of foundational pieces that kind of made that work the way it did, you know? Yeah. That's such a common, I mean, that's how I did it too. I mean, mean, like you said, it's, Conventional, yeah, but probably you know, not so, unique to me, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, everyone gets everyone draws a short straw at some point, but uh, it's always <laughs> interesting. Uh, some people do that and they end up hating it, but it, you know, some people um, end up really falling in love with it. So, um, yeah, it's like definitely the seat that that I need to be in for sure. Uh, I I'm I'm a forever GM, and I think that that has a lot of uh, negative connotation uh, mm-hmm. in some instances. I, I would like more opportunities to play. I think it would be fun to be able to play more often. But uh, if I had to choose long term between the two, I, I would be choosing GM all the time. And I'm willing to bet like 85 to 90 percent of the forever GMs are probably the same way. So, yeah. So you uh, you've been you're working as the director of creative content for for Freeforge. And I'm wondering what, um, you know, when you're we're thinking about this space, like you said, it's a big community space, and obviously there's so many different ideas and so many different possibilities that are that are thrown around. What do you, you know, what are, what are your goals when you're thinking about, you know, shows that might be, you know, ideas for for games and shows that are streaming? Do you develop them in Square One, or how does that? How does what do you look for? Um. So <clears throat> the way that we did it, and. And I guess to contextualize, we operate much, much, much slower mm-hmm. than a lot of other similarly oriented communities probably would. Um, but that's that's largely based on the fact that we have a few very specific uh, sort of like foundational understandings when it comes to how we're going to develop, pick, select, uh, curate, whatever uh, content we're trying to put together. And one, it's going to be high production and professional. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest issues in the uh, issue is, is probably the wrong word, but one of the, one of the shortfalls of the content creation community surrounding tabletop is a lot of it is done in a way that is um, 
it is it is done low end with no consideration to what high end could look like. And I don't mean to suggest necessarily that you can't be a good uh, actual play or, or podcast or anything to that effect without considering those production elements. But that, in my opinion, is kind of what separates we're going to play our game and we are going to point cameras at it versus <laughs> we are producing entertaining content that is designed specifically to be consumed. Yeah. So uh, high levels of production and professionalism and how we handle things, it definitely slows things down in terms of being able to develop stuff, but it does make sure that we're providing sort of the highest standard that we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other piece to that is making sure that we're providing tools and cultivating a legitimate sort of um, actual entertainment experience on both sides of the ball, so to speak. So all of our performers who are going to be tied to the show are going to be paid and compensated for their involvement with their projects. Uh, The cast for stay alive is all paid. um, And, and I don't like the idea of putting together a, we'll just do this for fun type of, content format not to say that those can't be good either is it's just that there has to be i think a separation between we want to do this for fun which can often be great or we want to do this specifically to create a circumstance where the viewer enjoys it which Mm -hmm. requires an entirely different approach um yeah so those are those are kind of the guiding stars for how we develop and from there i'm just i'm constantly looking for where holes in the market might be um, what new things we can bring to the table, what makes sense to try and produce. Um, I, I did holding action for, for probably about three, four years. And that is not the kind of show that I think I would be looking to produce now even. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to see holding action come back, but it's going to, it's going to go through a format change if slash when that happens largely because, I'm I'm always looking to do something new and I'm I'm not looking to retread a bunch of old ground. So as long as we can do that in a way that is professional, I think that's kind of the goal uh, yeah. of what it means to cultivate that content from within. So Yeah, absolutely. Um and it's it's yeah, the I mean the that's good. I mean, I think it, there's a there's a lot of really great actual plays out there. And you know, it's such a it's such a good from a tech standpoint, it's not too hard to break into it necessarily, but to really have it be good. Um, and have it stick, you know, and have people get interested in it and stay with it. You know, that professionalism is really helpful. And um, it really helps the hobby having all these creators. You know, I know people who are in multiple games who, you know, are almost like career. Um, I wish, but uh, yeah, they're in a lot appearance. of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at a rate that I, I don't know how you do it while also having a, a full time job, but they do it um, appearing in these in these actual plays. Um, and having to be compensated for that work um, is 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 great to hear. Um, sure. And, <laughs> um, with with that with the tabletop, you know, when you're thinking about the stories you're telling and and making them compelling and stuff, is there anything that you find special about you know actual play tabletop games um, that you don't really get in more traditional storytelling? Format? Um, I, I think I think what you're looking at here is. Uh, if if we if we take like some big kind of action adventure movie like any of the avengers or you know the the 97 movies that marvel puts out a year whatever whatever the case might be it's like <laughs> oh fight thanos do the thing it's cool and it's awesome right like 
if you double the length of any of those movies and then find a good point to split those in half and then release them one week apart, but you don't mm-hmm. charge theater level tickets for doing that. I think the idea there is you're able to tell these kind of big grand stories in a way that people already want to invest and, and sort of put their efforts into, but they're just not sort of able to be produced in a similar fashion. So you can't quite go TV show style uh, in terms of how I think people binge content, but, but you can do things in the vein of, uh, sort of epic um, narrative ballads that that really allow you to connect with characters in a way that maybe kind of these quick hit uh, thirty minute shows they they aren't going to do as well. Uh, the season one cliffhanger for an, any new sitcom it's going to have some definitive tension, but it's going to usually be around one or two characters, right? You never really get a chance to invest in a full cast over the course of a debut season, yeah. um, and it's it's kind of like watching a a movie, but instead of waiting three years for the next Avengers, like it, the, the next piece of it comes out next week. Um, the, the end of the first Lord of the Rings, I was like, what, what do you mean? They just start walking. Like that's the end. They're just, what happens after they keep walking? And now you wait a week and you find out. So, um, I think the onus there requires a lot of effort, um, to make sure that you're not, focusing on the mechanics of games when you present them. I think that's that's kind of another shortfall that a lot of people run into. They they play the game rather than do the fun, entertaining, exciting part of the game. If you're going to yeah. play the game, that's great. Just don't stream that. Like nobody nobody wants to see like 97 rolls while you try and catch a squirrel. Like catch the squirrel, make it fun, but then continue with this story that we want to invest in. Um so I think that there's definitely some massaging that can be done there. Uh, on the whole in terms of the the community's approach to it. But that's also kind of a factor that I took into account when building stay alive, which is why that too feels kind of different. So it, it, it is a better forum and medium to tell big Epic stories. And I just think that there's a lot of wiggle room to kind of refine how you want that user experience to feel. Yeah. Uh, So when it comes to, you know, I, obviously you, you know, you do a lot of, of GMing um, on your streams and also, um, you know, you probably, you run some games obviously that aren't, <laughs> like you said, aren't, yeah. aren't streamed. How do you approach, uh, you know, the two different, the two different formats, you know, what's the difference between GMing a, a game that's going to be streamed versus one that's just, you know, at, at the table? How do you approach that? I mean, that... They're wildly different. Absolutely wildly <laughs> different. Yeah. Um, I, I think for one thing, you're the, the kind of stuff that I would maybe ask for a role for offline, like 80% of that I would never do online. Um, I think when it comes to the development and understanding of kind of who's looking to do what and having one-on-ones with people before the session starts and, Hey, I'm going to set this moment up for you to kind of do whatever thing you're going to do and whatever else. Like it is, uh, calling it, calling it scripted would be false only in the sense that like, it is still kind of determined by the dice. It is still, we, we don't know how other people are going to react. We don't know, you know, a thousand different things, but, um, 
there are a lot more kind of doorstop bullet points that we know we're going to be aiming for. Um, at minute 45, I'd like us to be here so I can set up this piece that's going to take about 30 minutes to set us up for the end of the episode so we can segue into our cliffhanger from next week. And it just has a much more developed structure. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas an offline game, like if everyone's having fun, I don't care. Spend two hours in the market haggling and, and making a mess and setting stuff on fire. Like who, who gives a shit? So when it when it comes to the difference between those two, it, it, it couldn't feel any more different. Um, I think largely based on the idea uh, that one is inherently meant to entertain a audience and the other mm-hmm. is simply meant to entertain four to six people in front of you. So all I have to do is pay attention to the people sitting across from me if it's offline, but then all of a sudden the players and the DM have to basically shift their focus to now we're entertaining this section of people. So all of the, the decision-making and the approaches and the, the methodology changes for, for everybody entirely, pretty much. Yeah. I think, I think that's a common misconception on, on both sides of people wanting to create and people who are uh, consuming actual play content is how much structuring there is on, on the, on the, on the streamer side of things, you know, it yeah. can't be just um, even the ones and who any really good one. It's got to be a lot, you know. Yeah, you know, even the ones who are the good ones are the ones that are able to do it so well that you can, you know, you they don't, you, you can't tell that it's structured. That's obviously that's the ideal, but right, um, exactly. People, you know, people assume, oh well, I, this is just you know, this is how it is. Like, well, no, your home game is not going to be like this because they put all this work into it. But also, you can't stream four hours of of your game and spend two hours just shopping in the market like you could at home because. Yeah, you said that's, that's not, not, that. not compelling. You, no, no one's entertaining yeah. enough to make that work. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you could you could maybe squeeze forty five minutes out of that if things absolutely explode. But yeah, at the end of the day, like I said, it's it's the dividing line between entertainment or having fun for yourself. Sometimes, you know, when I used to do shows, like I didn't have a blast at every single show that I played, but mm-hmm. it was a hundred percent me going up there and doing my job because I wanted to make sure that uh, I was putting on the show. I was being paid to put on like, that's kind of mm-hmm. how that works. So. Yeah, that's, and that's something I'm curious about when it comes to the next question, the doing the difference between performing in like a, a streaming space like this uh, is uh, unlike most forms of entertainment, you know, whether there's a game attached to it. There's a home game. There's a sense of play. Um, and, you know, it's not like other streaming where there's a game, but there's also a story attached to it. So sure. casting is always something that I think people don't know much about when it comes to actual play, because it's such a weird concept because everyone's so used to, Oh yeah, my, you know, I'm just looking for a group or yeah, my group's just a bunch of friends, you know? Uh, and then, you know, how do you put together a group for, you know, first and stay alive? Uh, you know, how do you cast that? You know, what do you, how do you, what kind of people do you look for? Or, you know, is there, do you do auditions, sure. that kind of thing? Um, so holding action uh, as one of my earliest projects actually was very much that quintessential kind of like we played together as friends and just decided to uh, take it online. That's, where I feel like I actually learned a lot of the missteps that a ton of people are still kind of making in terms of like 
well, yeah, we have a lot of fun and we have good chemistry. And it's like, yeah, you're all friends. That makes sense. Are you entertaining though? Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of where the division comes from. Um, And it just so happens that in this friend group of mine, we had two people that were already really good at entertaining one person who had toured and done music with me historically, and just kind of had some of the foundational pieces though it was very, very unrefined Um, Mm -hmm. for stay alive. Actually the, the entire concept, I mean, that's, that's probably a whole conversation to, to figure out how we got around to what stay alive kind of became, but the, the concept was, uh, Tony, Captain LaGrange, uh, was a player on a show that I had done previously. And I was very, very impressed with uh, Tony and, and uh, his RP and kind of how he conducted himself as a player. And I got it in my head, like, I really want to do a project with Tony at some point. <clears throat> and uh, I think a good year and change went by before kind of some of that started materializing. But I reached out, like, I knew I wanted him as a player. Um. And he was like, yeah, I'm on board with this. And, you know, the first idea, which looked nothing like what Stay Alive became, but he was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm into it. And each new iteration, he was like, yeah, I'm into it. Um, and then uh, Mindy, who was doing just an absolutely stellar job helping hold it down with asset generation and some of the content management pieces and just absolutely killing it, was helping me with some of the foundation work for that. But she was also a player in this uh this campaign that I had guested in. She's also a stellar role player. Uh, she also has a lot of experience. And as she was kind of helping put together some of those moving parts and pieces, adding her in as an actual, uh, physical component to the show, like that was just kind of a no brainer. Um, so I had, I had two cast and like (laughs) 30% of what would become a final idea. Um, and from there it was kind of just like, okay, well, where are we weak? Where are we strong? Um, what do we want to develop from there? Uh, Chris ended up getting added just because she's an absolutely phenomenal role player. She's an absolute workhorse with handling biz and assisting with stuff and taking care of things, uh, as well as being just a wonderful human. So they've basically got kind of brought on board for being like 11 out of 10 in like 19 different categories, which never hurts obviously. And then, uh, (laughs) Josh, me, me and Josh have actually kind of been on a similar path to me and Tony where we were looking for a project to connect on and, and something we could do for probably about a year. Yeah. Um, and then I'm not, I'm not sure if we both just kind of got to the point where we sort of shrugged and was like, this could be it. Right. And like, yeah, let's just do this. But you know, clearly tons of experience, clearly uh, one of the, the better people you could get involved with actually trying to kind of build and, and grow something foundationally. Uh, really smart guy when it comes to the back end of how the moving parts and pieces work. So uh, he was a really great addition as well as all of us kind of being connected to one another. So I was just really, really fortunate that um, Stay Alive's cast formed organically. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't it wouldn't be wrong to say that we that we were all friends, but it also probably isn't maybe in keeping with a accurate characterization of of how we sort of actually came together. Like I wanted Tony, like Tony do something with me. And then that was kind of just the sentiment that I threw at everybody eventually. It was like, hey, I want to do a thing. And then it turned out I had a thing and they were like, sure, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how that worked. The streamer uh, space is only so big, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> um, and yeah, the great yeah. thing is it's a lot of people, especially um, 
you know, in the circles, you know, cause like I, I played, well, I've played a game with, uh, um, with Chris. She's awesome. Um, on a stream once, um, yep. the only time I've ever been on a live play, but it was a one-off. Um, uh, and you know, <laughs> Josh is one of those who's, um, you know, he's one of those, I, when I talk about people who I see all the time, you know, popping up in all kinds of places, you know, he's one of them, um, yep. you know, just cause he has that experience. He's a great performer. He's a great creator. Um, and yeah, the people who pop up at all of his are also the ones who are like the, they're the easiest to get along with. Cause it's very hard to <laughs> be yep. in so many I mean, there's something not... to be said for that too, right? Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, be for, a for, we, all right, I'll give you, I'll give you the half juicy scoop like six people will care about here we're we're on rather sort of big beneficial announcements for the forge community at large here where we are uh and and we opened up auditions i think back in like october and didn't finalize them until like early february mm-hmm. part of that is holiday and you know the scheduling gets weird around those times for people anyway but um we're going to be bringing uh, some exciting new stuff to the the forge that actually involves a lot of casting and Ooh. oh my goodness, uh, we we had like 30, 40 some applicants, Ooh. and from there we had to do like kind of an initial round of cuts, and then we had like eight more initial round of cuts because it was just like we need, there's no way we're going to run like twenty eight audition games. Yeah. Um, so it literally ended up being like the the top 15% that we we thought maybe made sense for what we were trying to do and how we were trying to do it. Uh, we lost another 5% almost immediately due to scheduling, timelines, XYZ, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the extra chaff reasoning that kind of gets in the way of things. <clears throat> and then with that remaining 10 or so percent, um, I think we ran like nine individual games eight or nine i don't know a lot of games to mix match kind of move people to around two xyz allow for scheduling stuff like that and from there finally make a decision that that really only includes like you know 10 people from the starting 140 so like you know seven percent of of everybody who applied getting a spot but we're going to be producing and, and putting together assets and, and making it high end for people that really have no experience mm-hmm. uh, or limited experience, at least with, with some of that stuff. And, you know, some of these people have never been part of an actual play, but we know from what we've seen, like they're going to be a great addition to a cast. So they just need that sort of higher end help. So, when it comes to that auditioning piece, uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you can take anybody that's just really talented. If you're willing to sort of bust your ass and do all the hard work for, for them kind of, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, people who bring additional assets to the table, uh, whether it be asset, video production, previous experience, you know, tech understanding, those kind of things, those all, definitely push you forward but um the casting for for what we have coming up was this slow and long arduous process that we are we are just finally kind of on the precipice of being able to sort of pursue and put out there so it it really kind of all depends on how you want to go about it i know that was maybe the longest possible way to answer your question but (laughs) if 
if you just let me talk, all I'm going to do is talk. So I'm going to, I'm going to try and be more conscious. <laughs> no, and, I mean, that's fascinating. It, but... It's fascinating to, to, to hear for me. And I think for anybody, because uh, that, that curtain doesn't get pulled, pulled back too much. I mean, it's not saying that um, I, I think most people in the space are very open about the realities of it. You know, I, I spoke with, um, I interviewed uh, Jen Kretschmer uh, last year and she talked about that. You know, there's a lot of, Reality is that no one who's playing and no one, no one who's playing games is hiding, but people still don't quite know all that. So I'm always happy to to learn more about that. Uh, I want to transition over talking about Stay Alive. Um, sure, yeah, the uh, survival survival horror tabletop, tabletop RPG that, like I said, just wrapped up season one, uh, which is you know always very exciting uh, when you know you get to the end of of one story. Uh, and prepare to start another one. Um, so I, w- I want to look back uh, briefly um, at season one at, you know, the story, when you were thinking about it, when you were conceptualizing, you know, you had your, you had the idea, you had who you wanted to work with to some extent, what kind of stories were you really looking to, to tell with, with stay alive, you know, at the, at least at the conceptual stage. So, so stay alive is so vastly different from any other system or show that I've tried to produce. I think only because it is, it's so great. It's so, so great. Death is a persistent and constant threat. There is no, like, I mean, you want, you want to make sure your character survives long enough for people to connect with them. Sure. Obviously. But they know that, as soon as you're kind of in the world, like your time is ticking and who knows exactly how long that's going to be. So from a narrator's perspective, uh, I I put in a lot of time with individual characters to kind of, or or, or the players uh, more specifically to figure out kind of who their character was and, and what story they wanted to tell. But we never really got super deep into that. I think largely because, um, this week, one bad roll could that could be it. There's no more exploring that character. So I got to have the fun of literally just cooking up the wildest circumstances I could come up with to just put the absolute pressure on and hold their feet to the fire while you know setting up this this little piece here that I know that this character is looking for, uh, help facilitate this exchange there that I know this character is going to be looking for. Um, but for the most part, I just got to harass the players constantly with dangerous threats and, you know, kind of unusual <laughs> circumstances. So from a narrative standpoint, it, it was really a lot more kind of one-off individual collaboration. Um, and then I provided sort of a foundational opportunity for them to bring that into game. And because I have such a talented group of role players, they kind of knew when to pick those moments. And then it was this very delicate balancing act of, providing them space to to kind of start telling that story but then to not interrupt but to sort of push push or put an easement against it uh based on the threats that they were facing and because death is expected some of them didn't get super well fleshed out to the point where we had one uh i i don't want to provide any spoilers because i'm hoping some <laughs> people will go back and check out season one here at some point but we had someone survive maybe about a billion times longer than they were expected to, or probably should have. Um, but we, we didn't really have a big punch in the story because 
we had been conditioned to not plan that far ahead. <laughs> so we we had these kind of more uh, one-off instances that develop who the person was and, and who they are now versus where they're going to go, because where they're going to go is dead. Um, at least that's the kind of common understanding that we were working with. And when somebody lived, we had probably a good two or three sessions in a row where I was talking to them an hour before the show, like, all right, what do we, where do we want to go now? Like, what do we want to try and do? So it's, it's super dynamic, uh, super interesting, but also at the same time, it doesn't require a lot of narrative prep. As long as you have a, a foundational idea and you can deliver that in a compelling way, this, this game kind of allows it to more or less run itself until you get one bad role or, or kind of one bad circumstance. And then, things shift and you figure out what that means for your character now. Yeah. You know, that planning that we talked about does, does rely on some, some things to go right. And most of the time those things don't happen. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's why you can't script it entirely. Right. Cause yeah, you know, yeah. we, we had grand plans. And then uh, at the end of that very episode, a character died that we had like this two or three uh, episode kind of arc in mind for. And it's like, all right tell me about your new character. <laughs> and like, you know, we kind of just kind of put it together from there. So you can only script so far and it's, it's really more a season, uh, a series of ramps rather than bridges. Like I want to yeah. get you from here to there and I'll build you the ramp, but I can't guarantee anything's going to be in the middle. So. Yeah. So I know it, it might be difficult with, to avoid spoilers, but is there a, um, is there a moment? Do you have a favorite moment from season one, or a favorite, um, you know, just something that happened that really, uh, you know, really made the story click? I, and if you don't have one, because I don't want to spoil anything, I totally understand. But sure, uh, I mean, I, I think the the moments that lend themselves to being sort of the most dramatic or kind of carrying the most gravitas are are obviously those kind of big spoiler moments. Yeah, and yeah, really. I am fudging proud of a lot of the twists we threw at our audience this, mm -hmm. this season. But um, I think on a smaller scale, the, the nature of being constantly threatened and, and the nature of never know like this, you know, the players don't know. I don't know. Like this could be your last session. Like there was so many wonderful opportunities. I think to have small, beautiful moments, it would probably be tough for me to, to pick just one, but I think the, the kind of moments of touching connectivity in between the storm, which is going to be about like 75% of the time, those kinds of things I think are, are really where a lot of the value came from, from a human perspective. And then mm -hmm. from a narrative perspective, I, I don't know if we had a session that didn't have a cliffhanger of some kind <laughs> of pretty significant impact. So I definitely don't want to go that route, but there's a lot of like, small one lines, you know, the, the nuanced body language, the, the perfect sentiment to be provided. I, I wouldn't want to pick one, but I think there's a lot of human elements that really stand out to me as being kind of the hidden gems of that show. It, when it comes to moving, looking forward to season two, you know, you had, you know, you talked about what you wanted to accomplish and Chaos. what, what you were able to accomplish. Um, uh -huh. What do you, is there anything you're really looking that you want to do more of in season two or anything that you, um, 
are you know, looking forward to doing more of in season two? Uh, I, we learned a lot, a lot. In season <laughs> one. Um, yeah. we're basically doing a, a, you know, a QA run for a system that I designed seven months previous, which wasn't even entirely finished when we took it to air. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't know how the format was going to work. We didn't know if the time windows or the pacing we were trying to set for ourselves made sense. Um, we literally were kind of figuring out the show for the first half of season one. So the second half of season one, I think, has a lot more kind of like it feels a little bit more consistent throughout on the on the back half of season one, largely because we were just trying to figure out what it meant to do this type of show. Uh, mm-hmm. right after we started but for season two i think we're taking a lot of what we learned we're absolutely going to focus in on and, and try to make crystalline the things that really worked well we're going to try and scrap and move past some of the things that didn't help us quite as much but as is the nature of uh upping the number from season one to season two we're going to be hopefully up in the ante with a ton more weird wild exciting stuff um I have some some very specific uh, modifications that I, I I maybe won't speak to uh, outright in in their own sort of uh, unique callouts, but the the danger is going to continue to increase because we're going to continue to have more and more capable survivors kind of emerging from these narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a result, we're going to be looking at kind of these entirely new threads where this big complicated weave that we kind of set up with season one uh, is going to have the ability to interact with these really small individualistic moments. Um, But now we're going to see, I think a much deeper and kind of more personal connection to Mm -hmm. some of this fear and danger. Um, I, I love having my players on the edge of their seats. It, it, it is a lot of fun to uh, there's, there's this whole uh, tradition or, or sort of ritualistic behavior, community grabbing screen grabs from the players, weirdest and wildest reactions to stuff. <laughs> um, but for me, it's always, it's always seeing chat uh, lighten up in a way that kind of suggests that I know that they're making the same faces at home. And that for me is, is always kind of where it's at. I, you know, my, my cast is talented enough where they can kind of just sit down, go and do what they need to do. Um, but I love pushing the envelope in a way where everybody's feeling, uh, like they're invested in something that's super tense and we're just going to be kind of cranking that up to 11, I think for season two, um, again, with some very specific, uh, additions and, and twists, but, uh, short of that, it's, it's going to be the same old song and dance, but with a brand new band and everything kind of updated to, to refine the dance experience for everybody who shows up. So, all right. So when, uh, when can we look forward to season two coming out? Season two. Um, uh, fortunately there's going to be some editing drag and delay time or whatever else, but we're announcing tomorrow, uh, that it is April 13th. So two weeks two weeks away from tomorrow or whenever this comes out. I don't know a week, a week from when you're hearing this, maybe I don't know. April 13th, April 13th. Um, All right. Yeah. April 13th. Be there at uh twitch.tv backslash the free forge or right. join the discord community, the free forge.com. 
We have, of course, link to all of that down below uh, underneath the yeah. description of this episode, as well as links to uh, how you can watch season one and get caught up in time for season two. I think uh, that's enough time uh, before this. They're very comes bingeable. Out. Very that's bingeable. Good. Yeah. Um, where can we find you? Uh, where can we? Where can we find you on on the on the internet? If we want to keep track of what you're up uh, to as a on you your can... own. You can find me on the Twits. Uh, I'm on the Twitters uh, at D and Deej. D and D. <laughs> Guess where I got that from? E E J. Uh, I I do uh, random nonsense postings, but also occasionally provide my genius level insights uh, to help those, much in the same way that I try to with the community. So if you can tolerate um, the meme posts for the occasional gem of wisdom, then uh, I'm your guy. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Deej, and giving us uh, an insight behind the curtain for uh, your work as a producer and as a DM and GM and uh, and looking at uh, Stay Alive, which is a really exciting um, live play that I am really excited to see what season two is going to hold. I'm just, I'm just hoping to up my kill count. That's, that's the goal right now. I'm just gonna see if I can bag me more bodies in season two. That's, that's the goal. Thanks again for listening to All Bark No Dice, the Fundamentals Tabletop Talk Show. As always, we are fueled by Found Familiar Coffee Company. Go to Found Familiar. Use the code Fandom to get fifteen percent off your entire order. And if you want. Give us a little shout-out on iTunes or Podchase or wherever you're listening. Give the five-star review. Really helps a lot. Thank you so much, and happy rolling. <laughs>